Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast for the issue November the 18th to the 24th. I'm Richard Lane. Coming up, a comparison of the safety of two drugs for treating arthritis. I'll be speaking to the lead author of this study, which was presented at the American Heart Association meeting in Chicago a few days ago. Before that, Oda Riska and Yudani Samrasekara discuss a research article in this week's issue with some encouraging findings about condom use among young women in Africa. A paper this week by Professor John Cleland and Dr. Muhammad Ali shows that there has been a substantial rise in the use of condoms reported by young single women in sub-Saharan Africa. The cover quote this week is from that paper's conclusion and it says, The sense of failure pervading HIV prevention efforts in Africa is unjustified. Condom promotion and marketing have had an appreciable effect, at least for young single women. Rudani, could you tell us a bit more about the findings of this study? Sure, Ada. What the authors did is that they looked at trends in abstinence, contraception use and condom use by young single women in 18 African countries using national survey data. And what they found was that between 1993 and 2001, the number of women declaring themselves as virgins rose in seven countries. They also found that abstinence in the three months preceding the survey and the use of any contraceptive increased in the 18 countries. But the biggest change was seen with condom use, which rose from 5.3% to 18.8%. And what the authors say is that this result suggests that condom promotion campaigns have been successful in sub-Saharan Africa, which is um, really exciting. And why did the study focus on young women? Well, they wanted to focus on young people because patterns of sexual behaviour established at a young age probably persist into adulthood. Also, sexually active single people remain at higher risk of HIV infections than those that are married. So um, they wanted to really look at this group. And what should future campaigns focus on according to the conclusions of the study? Well, an interesting finding was that women who reported using a condom stated pregnancy avoidance as their reason. And this may be because young women may find it easier to negotiate use of condoms with a partner for pregnancy prevention than for protection against HIV transmission. So the authors conclude that condoms might be promoted more effectively if the emphasis was on pregnancy prevention rather than the prevention of sexually transmitted diseases. Two other highlights to mention from this week's issue. Our lead editorial comments on the newly appointed leader of the World Health Organization, Margaret Chan from China. And a seminar outlines current knowledge and future hopes for the treatment of the debilitating eye condition, retinitis pigmentosa. But the author interview this week concerns the MEDAL study, published online on November 13th and in this week's main issue. Arthritis affects millions of people worldwide, and many people use long-term anti-inflammatory drugs to control disease symptoms. The MEDAL study compares the safety of two drugs, a conventional anti-inflammatory and a COX-2 inhibitor. The latter class of drugs have courted controversy since the COX-2 inhibitor Vioxx was shown to increase the risk of heart attack. Earlier, I spoke to Christopher Cannon from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston in the United States, one of the study authors. Well, it all started right around the time that the increased risk of developing an MI was seen with Vioxx in the Vigor study. That raised lots of questions about that agent and the class in general as to whether a COX-2 selective agent that has the same amount of COX-2 but less COX-1 inhibition, would that increase risk of developing heart attack or stroke? So beginning in 2002, we did a big comparison that uh, was 34,000 patients that we reported here 
to compare a highly selective COX-2 uh, inhibitor, a toracoxib, with uh, one of the traditional agents, diclofenac, that has COX-1 inhibition, although uh, doesn't have antiplatelet effect that high-dose naproxen has. So this was a trial that could address one of the two big questions in the, in the area, but the central one, I think, that addressed whether that increase in COX-2 selectivity would itself increase the risk of cardiovascular events. Can you just comment a little bit about the methodology? Because this is a, a really large multinational study, over 46 countries involved. You've already just said over 34,000 patients involved. How did you manage to pull it all together? Well, this has become uh, big efforts, obviously, but one that's necessary to get a clear answer. And so the sponsorship of the trial was by Merck, and they involved all of their national companies in all of these 46 countries to help coordinate the collection of data, monitoring of the data to make sure in the hospital charts that it accurately reflects what's reported in the trial. We then, on the receiving side, had independent data analysis of all the pre-planned analyses so that uh, we could verify that uh, everything is as clean as possible in this large number of patients. And what were the key findings from MEDAL? Well, the key finding was that overall the primary endpoint did not show a difference in the risk of thrombotic cardiovascular events between uh, toracoxib and diclofenac. We then looked at different hard endpoints of just death and my stroke. We analyzed the data in various analytic ways and all showing a very consistent finding that there wasn't a difference between these two agents. We then also looked at many of the other factors that we need to consider, and the next on the list is the GI complications of developing ulcers. And that was, in fact, the main reason that the COX-2 inhibitors were developed to avoid the known risk of ulcers and bleeding and complications. Interestingly, we found a lower risk of uh, GI complications and mainly ulcers with the COX-2 inhibitor versus the non-steroidal. Even with half of the patients in the child taking proton pump inhibitors that block acid and, and would protect the stomach. Then finally, there are sort of third-level things that are important to think about in the overall clinical decision-making, namely blood pressure elevations can be seen with any of these agents, and development of fluid retention leading to congestive heart failure is one or edema. And conversely, increases in liver function tests are things, you know, we usually worry about with statins, but it is a factor in this class of drugs as well. So we saw higher rates, although relatively low absolute rates, but it was a little bit higher with the toracoxib for um, high blood pressure and at the higher dose for development of fluid retention and edema. The liver function test abnormalities were higher with the um, diclofenac. So some things balanced on either side of the equation on these sort of third-level considerations. What does this do now in terms of clinical decision-making? because clearly there's a pattern emerging, isn't there, that, that the non-steroidals seem to be associated with fewer cardiac outcomes, but you've got fewer GI complications associated with the COX-2. What does that actually mean for clinicians and patients? 
Well, there's another agent in the armamentarium that we didn't test in this trial, uh, high-dose naproxen, that's been tested in, in many other trials, including the original VIGOR study. In the meta-analysis of all the COX-2 inhibitors, there's a lower risk seen with the high-dose naproxen. So that has caught everyone's attention as to a way to reduce cardiovascular risk. Other than high-dose naproxen, the other traditional agents have seen seem to be more similar. Then there are differences for GI effects. So I think we're going to move to a more individualized approach to recommending certain type therapies for different type patients. We're getting to the stage now where we've got more information which enables clinicians to match treatment more appropriately to the profile of their patients. Is that a way of summing, summing it up? I think we've had initial randomized trials, and then in the past few years, it's been more observational studies where there's confounding, and some studies show one thing, and then the next study shows the opposite. We're now shifting back to getting the large randomized trials where we get a clear answer on parts of the questions, and so we'll use this information to change the way we treat patients. Dr. Cannon, thanks very much for talking to The Lancet. Well, thank you for having me participate. Dr. Christopher Cannon, concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.